But just hearing Natalie on that episode, explaining the concept of the suitcase entrepreneur, guy, this young boy from Ibuzo Delta States grew up in Suriliri, Lagos, who had a lid on how far he could dream, my head was burst open. She was talking about realities that I had never seen or heard or fathomed of before. Like what? She lives from country to country out of her suitcase because she only works from her laptop. What kind of extraterrestrial being is she? And she explained the concept. I was shocked. I lay on my back and was looking up at the scene like, this exists, this exists, this exists. This is Origins Africa podcast, where we explore the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true, asking the what, the when, the how, and the why. I'm Oshaye, and on this episode, the concluding part of our conversation with John Obidi, we will talk about how John began his journey as a social media expert. We'll also talk about the birth of Head Start Africa community, formerly Smart B Camp, as well as John's mistakes and general life lessons. John is the Director of Growth and Partnerships at Abit Networks, a blockchain and cryptocurrency solutions company, as well as the founder of Head Start Africa community. This interview was recorded in April 2021. A few years back, calling yourself a social media expert would likely have been met with a confused look and the assumption that you were unserious and wasted your time on Facebook. But more recently, careers in social media have exploded as companies realize the value of reaching their customers on the medium where most of their time was spent. It was in this early period Back then in 2012, in the city of Benin, that John Obidi heard about online PR for the first time from his friend Tochuku, which ignited the spark that led him to the world of digital media. So one day, a friend of mine, Tochuku McFoy, just he burst into my room. Tochuku is this type of guy that is really energetic and is an idea generator. He can give you like 10,000 ideas per minute. So he burst into my house that day and he says, John, 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 man, there's this thing in Lagos, man, that they call online PR. Man, we can go to Lagos, we can start doing this thing, we can make a lot of money. Man. Let's go to the Apple Which one is online PR again? What year was this? He said, man, I don't know what it is, but Google it, we'll figure it out. I said, okay. What year was this? Now, this was in 2012. Okay. He said, let's go do this. I'm like, ah, wait him be which one is I said, okay. So when he left my house that evening, I sat down on my computer and I started to Google online PR. But before we continue, remember that on the last episode, towards the end, we had been talking about the uncertainties John had had in his final year at Benson Idahosa University about how he would make his dreams 
come true. So what was that really about? And what was he up to after graduation before his friend Tochuku introduced him to online PR? So now there was a new uncertainty in my final year. So here, here, here's the thing. So in my final year, I was one of the best programmers. Like everybody in my set could point to John Obidi as one of the best. Like if you were, you know how, you know, in some, some American schools, they have these, you know, most likely to succeed. Uh-huh, kind of uh-huh. They would point to me as this guy, most likely to succeed. This guy was, John Obidi is one guy that would become big you know, in future, just based on the fact that I was a pretty good programmer. I was one of the best mm-hmm. in my sets. But they didn't know that even at that time, I was confused. Like, I, because at that time, I did not know a single rich programmer. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, because ah, everybody... Was that locally? What of Bill Gates? Bill Gates is in a different, was in a different reality. You know, okay. if, if, if I had the chance to travel, then yes, of course. Okay. But I had I had no chance to travel. I didn't have that in my on my as a okay. prospect. But but locally in Nigeria, I didn't know a single rich programmer. I mean, now they are rich programmers. But at the time, startup culture wasn't as huge. You know, how many sure. people were raising rounds of millions of dollars? It wasn't really that sure. huge then. And by then, I mean 2009. You know, it wasn't as huge as now that ah, you just have one. Idea to deliver bole and fish, and they are raising seed round for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so back then, startup culture wasn't really much of a thing, and so there weren't that many rich programs at the time. And I'm like, are you sure this is what I really want to do? And the one more thing I realized at that time was that I knew so much about computing and very little about life. So I. I, I, I was uh, I was timid, especially of things like public speaking. People don't believe that about me right now, that I used to be so terribly and chronically shy of public speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they see me on stage talking to thousands and tens of thousands of people, they're like, wow, maybe you were born with all of that. Now, nah, that it was a time in my life I would rather die than speak in public. So there were so many life skills, so many life skills that I didn't have, I didn't know. Um, that I thought, you know what, I'm done reading about programming. I want to learn about life now. And so I began to read books and that was where I discovered. This was in your final year? My final year, yes. What? So, so I mean, I, 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 I knew enough to pass my exams, but um, I didn't want to keep on reading programming books and become the best um, programmer in Benin City. I wanted to learn what life was outside of programming. And this was simply from you being confused and doing some introspection and coming to the yes. realization that you didn't really have life skills necessary. I decided yes. to on that. Yes. You know, and I, I think because I had a very philosophical foundation, thanks to my father. So I always asked myself a lot of um, heart searching questions like, who am I? What am I doing? What's my purpose here? Um, does, it, does it even matter? Mm. You know, so I, I would ask these questions a lot of times and I realized that I didn't have much of an impact on the broader world. And that was because I didn't really have as much life skills. So I began to foray into the field of personal development. And my first book I ever read and I finished it almost immediately. It's a very short book and I always recommend. It was written by a man named James Allen titled As a Man Thinketh." Very old book. It's so old that it is free. It's on the public domain now. 
as a man think it. Um, so I read that book and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is huge. And so I began to read more. I was exposed to speakers and writers like Les Brown, uh, Tony Robbins. What did um, as a man think I'd leave you with that you said it was amazing and good? It, so all my life, all I ever knew for personal development was the Bible. I never knew anything outside of the Bible. I knew the Bible back to back to back to back to back, even until today. Uh, but I think something inside of me wanted those philosophies to be validated by something outside of it. I didn't want to be, to be in some echo chamber where you're only right to adherence of the faith. I wanted truths that would be deemed universal. You know, a Muslim would see this and agree, yes, this makes sense. A Buddhist would see this and agree, yes, this makes sense. An atheist would see this and agree, yes, this makes sense. So I guess there was something that like that I was looking for on the inside. And when I read As a Man Thinker, I was like, boom. Even though the, the connotation might, apl- might, might appear Christian, but it applies to everybody. It just talks the, about how you can elevate your circumstances by choosing better quality thoughts and how exactly to navigate your thoughts in such a way that it improves the way you imprint yourself on the world and impact the world and attract a better response from the world. Interesting. Interesting. So from there, you went on to read more books, encountered Les Brown, and this was still in your final year? It was still in my final year, yes. Um, and then, and then, so that was it. And then after school, I kept on doing that. After school, I kept on trying to, I would read books and I'd be like, how do these people write so well? You know, and I started honing my skills at writing. I started trying to convey, like I started working up the gift of thinking and putting my thoughts on paper. And that's how I learned to write. Um, you know, that, that's how I learned to, I used to be terrible. This was what year? Now this was like in 2011 as okay. I started writing. Um, and I began to write every single day. In I your notepad or? Um, on my computer. At that time I had okay. a computer. Okay. I would write. And I never really put these things out in front of anybody. Um, it was just for me because I, I didn't think it was good enough at the time. But a friend of mine came over to my um, house one day and he was looking at what I was writing and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And he was, he was taking notes. I was like, eh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was a validation of some sort. Yeah. So that was the first time I thought that it had value. So I, I started a blog then and I began to put my writings out there. But, you know, the, the blog... Um, I, I, I moved on to other things, but that's when I, I, I first started writing. But I was still a programmer. I was making a living okay. as a programmer, web designer. Okay. Um, but then I again, read I, that it was I difficult to find a job initially, though. Oh, yes, because, you know, it's been in city. The ecosystem was not as developed as Lagos. So, okay. you know, lower paying jobs and all of that. And I said, you know what? Um, and again, there's this thing in me that's like vagabonding. I'm always moving from place to place, you know. I so I'm see. like, even this web design, how how can I how can I ham? I didn't know a single rich web designer. I'm mm. like, I would like, you know, it was paying the bills, and I needed to move to something that was more um, 
that offered me a, a, a faster lane, but I didn't know what that was. So I just kept my mind open. And at this point, you were teaching, right? I was what? Teaching, right? Oh yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was trying to supplement my income really. So I was taking up, um, I was teaching web development classes in Benin City, teaching programming classes, you know, it was not so convenient. I had to supplement my income and survive. So I did that. But then okay, again, so you're working as a web designer in a company and then you're supplementing your no, income? No, I was, I was working for myself as a freelance web designer. Oh, okay. Okay. I was not very, I was not a very employable person, unfortunately. How do you mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, employable, you know, I have this um, overly independent mindset. I mean, this, this this was a time before I discovered what personality tests were, okay. right? So if I, if I had done personality tests when I was much younger, I would have just known straight up that jobs were not my thing. I see. You know, but yeah, so my personality does not really respond well to um, creative control. I okay. appreciate creative autonomy. And so it's, it, it can get rebellious at that stage. So because of that, I always only worked for myself um, because it was a situation that I felt in control of my creativity and my direct um, circumstances. So I was a freelance web designer at the time. Okay. Um, but still, when it was time to move on from that, I moved on from that because I, I, I started to hate free, uh, web design. I didn't see a path to superstardom as a web designer, okay. you know. I, I didn't see a path to stardom. Yeah, you could make a good living, but I, I wanted to be a star, not mm -hmm. just regular, you know. So I just kept on biding my time until, but I opened my mind. And it was at this point that Tochuku burst into John's room to introduce him to the world of digital media. So what happened after John heard about online PR? That evening, I sat down on my computer and I started to Google online PR. And I was like, whoa. I didn't quite like the thing, the term online PR because to my understanding then it sounded like, you know, light telling, but I saw related search results. I saw social media marketing, social media strategy. And I was like, wow, I could do this. And I thought instantly that if I could learn this and become the best at it, it would open doors for other things. Cause I was a programmer, you know, who would create great software that only I would use. But I thought if I could master social media marketing, then I'll be able to drum up publicity for anything, whether it was my ideas or someone else's ideas. So I started learning it, reading blogs and um, learning, practicing. I created my own blog. I was, I was teaching as quickly as I was learning. And then uh, there was this podcast I always listened to back then in 2012. It was called, and it's still called, the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast by Amy Porterfield. Now, I loved listening to that podcast, but on one of those episodes, Amy Porterfield had a guest. That guest, her name was Natalie Sisson. Natalie Sisson was the author of the book called The Suitcase Entrepreneur. The, the title of that episode was, I think, The Suitcase Entrepreneur, because I think they were using that episode to promote her book and all of that. But just hearing Natalie on that episode explaining the concept of the suitcase entrepreneur, guy, this young boy from Ibuzo Delta States, grew up in Suleri, Lagos, you know, who 
had a lid on how far I could dream, my head was burst open. She was talking about realities I had never seen or heard or fathomed of before. Like what? She lives from country to country out of her suitcase because she only works from her laptop. What kind of extraterrestrial being is she? And she explained the concept. I was shocked. I lay on my back and was just looking up at the scene like, this exists, this exists, this exists. And then after her, I discovered another key person, um, the author of The 4-Hour Workweek, Tim Ferriss. I read that book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and I was like, yes, this is it. And the title of the book, if you look at the cover of the book, it says The 4-Hour Workweek. Then the smaller title was How to um, Escape the 9 to 5 and um, wait, let me Google so I can say, say, the, say the correct way for our work week. It has a very seductive title. It says, yes, the four hour work week says, escape the nine to five, live anywhere and join the new rich. And if you look at the cover, it has this picture of a man, or I don't know whether it's a man or a woman, but a person in a hammock in between two palm trees or two coconut trees. And I'm like, hey! (laughs) Onyoshi! (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my God, I was sold. I consumed that book. And between these two books, the four-hour work week, the four-hour work week, and Natalie Sissons, the suitcase entrepreneur, I knew that this was who I wanted to be. I knew straight up. Now, at that time, I had never been on any kind of aircraft in my life. Mm. But the information there was enough to dream. And so, you know, I kept on soldiering on. Um, I gave social media marketing my all because I felt like this was the better path to achieving what I wanted. So what were you doing then when you say you gave it your all? You... Oh, I was a madman. I was going crazy because, hey, I came from Benin's... I mean, I came from almost nothing. So I had nothing to lose. So I was offering to teach anywhere. When social media week came up, <laughs> I had this thing I would do where I would go to social media week websites. And on the website, there was a place where you could contact the organizer of any particular social media week events. I would email 20 of them offering to come and give a talk at their events. Interesting. Yes. And because I was nobody, like maybe like two accepted to invite me. Mm. but that, that was enough for me but I did this all the time I would go to Eventbrite and look for all the social media marketing events happening in Lagos and I would offer to teach in my local church in Benin City I offered to teach the church members social media marketing for free after church I organized classes and the church allowed me to do that and I was using that to build my stage presence before coming to mm. Lagos even I used that because I didn't know how to do public speaking or any of that. So I, I was using them as, you know, practice and I was getting better while I was giving them value and all of that. How so was I, the first I, speech? Sorry. The first one, I felt like I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Where was it? What, 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 what event? Was it a church or was it one of the social? Okay, so actually it was church. So here's the thing. I used, to be, I used to be very, very shy. So we had this house fellowship that I used to attend and I was very close to the, to the leader of the house fellowship. And he was planning to travel abroad for his master's degree. 
to the US. And he didn't, he, he, I, we all knew about it, but he didn't know, but I didn't know that he planned that I would take over from him when I he see. left. So without telling me, he told the pastor of the church that, yes, I've arranged with John Obidi and he's going to take over, he's going to take over, <laughs> take over the cell fellowship. If you had told me, I'd have run away. <laughs> why he did it? I could, I, I for run. You know, so I, I, I was at church one Sunday after church. I was ready to get back to my life as I knew it. And pastor stopped me like, hey, John, hi. So, you know, um, I'm sure Saiki has briefed you on what we are studying today. Is, uh, eh? <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and at that moment, I could have backed out. I could have said no. But something told me that, John, if this might be an opportunity to conquer this demon once and for all. This just might be a way out. And I mean, I knew that somewhere in my future, public speaking was going to be instrumental. I knew. Mm. But it's something you, you just keep on postponing and procrastinating on and pushing forward, you know. And here I was at the Rubicon. Guy, you can go back and live your easy life. No pressure, no pain, no, no pressure to push past this barrier. Or... You could go through whatever it is, the fear of embarrassment or public failure or whatever it is and acquire a skill that will make you a legend forever. Ah! All these imaginary pitches in my head. Okay. So um, I accepted, even though I hated it. I hated it at first though, at first. There were times when I would pray that rain should fall. So I can tell Pastor that ah, this is how we do yourself. But rain did not fall, and so I had to show up. I hated it. It was tough. It was like getting, like I had bricks in my mouth. I would stutter. I would, but slowly I started to tolerate it more. Slowly I started to endure it. Like, okay, this, this ain't that bad. I guess, I guess it's okay. And then slowly, I started to enjoy it. This was how many and weeks? So months after? I think like, it was like three, four months. Okay. Yeah. And then slowly, I started to look forward to it. Interesting. You know? What? Yeah. You- I, started, I I don't know because I'm I, I, apparently I'm a I'm a great I'm I'm I've always been great at speaking. My enunciations have always been fantastic. It's just that I didn't feel confident about it, and you know my comfort zone was like less than three people. If it gets more than three people, like start getting shy and embarrassed, you know. And cell meeting house fellowship at the time was just about how many people? About seven people, and that was too much for me at the time. Seven people, you know. But I started getting comfortable with that kind of public scrutiny and then that's when I was like, you know what, let's take this up a notch. And then I, then I told the pastor that I would like to teach social media marketing classes yeah. to the, to the church after, after church. Interesting. Yeah. And, and how many was, people was it? Oh, wow. People, there were like 40 people. Wow. Yeah. And so I started to enjoy like, yes, I can do this. I was really excited. So I had done that even before coming to Lagos, but anyway, 2013, January 2013 was when I started this whole social media thing. And then um, I had not yet moved to Lagos. I was still in Benin when in um, sometime later in the year, I think October or, or so, I got a phone call um, from someone who claimed to be calling from the U.S. consulate. I said, okay, what's the concern? What's the concern okay. the U.S. consulate? 
<laughs> what, what did I do? I said, oh, nothing. Um, you know, you, you've been nominated for the Future Awards Africa Prize for New Media um, 2013. We're having the nominee reception dinner here at the U.S. Consulate, and we'd like to officially invite you and let you know that it's going to be happening at this time. I was like, oh, wow. At first, I, I, th- I thought it was Yahoo Boys trying to ban me. <laughs> but but I, I, I Googled and saw my name there and saw that it was real. So I said, okay, but they didn't know I was coming from Benin and they were giving me like two days notice because, mm. you know, all things bright and beautiful are in Lagos, apparently. Um, so... And this was primarily from you volunteering to speak at the yes, different events. And, this, and not just that, but I would... That, I, I used to buy Facebook ads and target Lagos. Oh, okay. Yeah, so people in Lagos just assumed I was a Lagos boy because they were seeing my ad. Well, no, I was in Benin targeting Lagos people. You know, so I would write in my blog and promote the articles on Facebook. My budget then was $1 per day, which was mm. substantial in 2013, but not so much now. Okay. You know, so it was, and that $1 per day really went far. So I built an email list. I was, was this social media you were writing about? Yeah, social media. Okay. So, um, so I packed my bags, got on a bus. You know, I couldn't afford to fly at the time. Um, I got on a bus and um, I headed to Lagos. And then I, I on, on the on the ride to Lagos, quite a long ride from Benin to Lagos. Um, but on the ride, I was listening to an audio book by Brian Tracy called Power Networking because I didn't know how to network. I didn't know because I knew that there were going to be celebrities there, um, high value people there. I wanted to know how exactly to comport myself in that environment since I'd never been exposed to it before. So I read that, I listened to the audiobook twice on, on my Blackberry Bolt 2, when Blackberries were the holy grail at the time. So I listened to that audiobook and I got some great ideas from it. Got to the event. So I got to Lagos. I called a friend of mine, Yinka, who was based in Lagos. Yinka, look, I've got this event. They say it's a black tie. I don't know what a black tie event is. Are we supposed to wear black ties? I don't know. But (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know what it was. So so Yinka said, don't worry. When you get to Lagos, call me. We'll go figure it out. So I got to Lagos. Yinka took me to Balogu Markets, you know, where, you know, people get discounted, great stuff. That's where we bought the stuff that I wore to the awards. And then I walked into a shop where they were selling glasses, like um, non-medicated glasses. And I wore uh, one pair that I liked. And I said, Jinka, how do I look? said, you look wise. I said, yes, that's what I'm looking for. So I kept it. <laughs> you <glasses>. look wise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so okay. if, you, if, you, if you Google my oldest pictures, you'll see that I used to wear glasses, but you know, I, 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 I never needed glasses. That was for fashion. <laughs> so I just made it a part of my brand. Um, so that was it. I got the feature awards. I was nominated and I was so happy. It was validation that this is what I was going to be doing for a long time. And it fueled my desire to move to Lagos, which I did in February, 2014. I moved from Benin to Lagos and started over. And yeah, that was another turning point for me. I think I read you didn't win the award yet. Yeah, I didn't win the award in 2013, no. I later won in 2018, five years later. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But I carried the nomination as if I won. I marketed myself. I was on radio. Of course, radio. of course. I was making noise. This bush boy from Benin. I was <laughs> making noise. Like, I was nominated, yo. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. So you got to Lagos. I think I read that there were a few challenges initially or, or, or hiccups. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? So yeah, so getting to Lagos, you're exposed to the same problems that all young Nigerians are faced with, infrastructural problems, light and internet, you know, which is something that the first world never has to deal with. But anyway, I have to deal with that. So I was wondering, okay, so how do I handle light and internet? I didn't have money to buy and fuel a generator. And then I would ask questions around and somebody mentioned something called um, a co-working space. I was like, what, what is a co-working space? He said, yeah, there's this one called Co-Creative Hub, CC Hub in Yaba. You can go there and use it as your office, use their lights and their internet and use their space to work. That sounded like an interesting concept. I'd never heard about it before, um, even especially from me that was coming from Benin City. So I went to CC Hub. I was living in Surulere um, with a friend and I went to... Um, CC Hub in Yaba, and I inquired, and they told me what they had and how much it was to join. I said, "How much is it?" She said, "It was thirty thousand naira." I said, "Okay, um, per month." She said, "No, per year." I said, "What? Are you kidding?" I got the money, I paid, I registered, and that was my start. So I would leave where I was. I would take like one bus and two keke, I think. <laughs> good old days and i would get to co-creative for Binyaba, <laughs> and i would get up the elevators and i would get into the plate the space and i would use the space to work i could have lights i could use their internet and i made really good friends there there's some fantastic friends uh friendships i had then friends who have gone on to do amazing work um in their lives and in their businesses but that was my start i think i had worked i had worked out of that hub for about six months and then I had saved up enough money to get my own accommodation and create my own work from home environment. So an inverter and all of that. So what were you so, doing? Yeah, for a living, I was, I was, uh, so I was still designing websites. I didn't stop yet okay. uh, because, you know, money was so coming in from there. Uh, but I was beginning to make a name for myself in social media marketing. So I would do social media um, agency. I would manage social media um, accounts for people and companies. And then I would train people. I would train their staff. That's what I was doing up to that point. And then it was later that year, 2014, that I said, you know what? I think I have matured into this. I'm going to hold my first event in Lagos. And I did. Hey. Yeah. How did it go? Oh, it went well for a first time. Um, I got on, I got on radio and promoted the events, you know, I, 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 I we, we did flyers, we did some ads, all in all, we had a pretty decent, uh, turnout, but I was really happy that, you know, I was able to make that happen. And I like gifts. I like roles that allow me to use my gift of teaching and speaking. So it was a natural thing for me. And that's just beginning of my, that was like almost the beginning of my core public speaking career. Um, even when I wasn't teaching social media marketing, um, because I came from a pastor's house, I always, I typically used Bible verses to teach 
certain lessons, um, certain life lessons, and you know those things just blossom from there. Um, so yeah, and then 2014, I was invited to Benin City to speak at Benga Sessions event, Paradigm Initiative, Nigeria. Um, the event for that year was hosted by my alma mater, Benedict Aosa University, which was interesting. Um, and so now this was a, an interesting one. Now, when they invited me, all I knew at that point was road transport. But they booked a flight and said I was traveling by air. Ah, said, okay. Now, I had never been to an airport in my life up to that point. People don't believe me <laughs> because <laughs> they, they, they think I look too posh for that kind of story. But it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I had never been to an airport. So I so they, they assigned me a protocol officer. So I called the protocol officer. I can't remember what her name was. I said, please, what kind of ID card do they use at airports? She said, oh, any office, your office ID card will do. I said, okay. That was when they still allowed such ID cards. So I used that. So I remember getting into the airport. That was during that Ebola period. So they would check your temperature and stuff. Okay. So I, I got into the airport and I just stood there looking like a lost puppy. I didn't know what a checking counter was. I didn't know. What, I, I was just standing there looking around. I didn't know what the heck was going on here. As I was standing there, I heard some. I heard somebody call my name. Hi, John Billy. And I looked. It was a convener. Binga session. Apparently, he was on the same flight. So he said, ah, I said, he said, ah, I said, ah, um, good afternoon, sir. He said, oh, you are here already. Okay, have you, have you got your boarding pass? I didn't know what a boarding pass was. <laughs> so it definitely means that the answer is no. So I said no. I've not gotten whatever that thing is. No. I said, okay, let's go this way. Ah, thank God. I just followed him. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just copied whatever he did. If he moves okay. left, I move left. If he moves right, I move right. We took our boarding passes. When you get to the machine that scans you, you take off your shoes. I took off my shoes. So <laughs> I was just copying everything. You know, we got on the plane. I remember when we were even on the plane, it was my first time, so I didn't even know what turbulence was. Hmm. So you know how Nigerians can be dramatic. So when I was hearing people shouting, Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> I don't know why they were shouting. I thought turbulence was like, it's normal. Like, you know, the way we have gallop on the road. <laughs> you know? Mm, yeah. mm. So like, well, when, you know, we landed and somebody went to warn the pilot, I was like, okay, this just got real. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we got to Benin, did the thing, and it was good. On the return flights, um, um, on the return flights, I so I was on that flight return flight with Inye 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 Oluwa Aboyeji, and we were all speakers at that event. So that was where I met him for the first time, and that's how we became contacts. And was this social know, media you spoke on? Yeah, social media. Okay. Yeah. So he gave me some ideas on how to take my business to a much higher level. And, you know, it was, he was, we were basically talking about how I could take my business, take my business ideas to like to Canada and other countries. But this guy that was telling me all these things, you don't know that this flight me and you are talking on right now is my first time ever flying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like people just look at me and I assume I come from a rich family. I, I have this aura. I don't understand. People have this assumption. So mm. he was talking and I love these ideas, but I'm like, how can I even assimilate these ideas when, you know, I just started flying, you know, but it was mm. great. And remember landing 
back from Benin, I was like, ah, so fast because I'm used to the hard way of doing things. Mm. You're living in Benin, you travel on by road, oh, you now stop at Ore. Ah, everybody will come down. <laughs> <laughs> Get refreshments. I know that the driver will be honey. Be, 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 be. Oh, yeah, make we go to school. I know it's, it's giving you memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was the kind of thing I was used to. You know, and then there was a time when there was even an armed robbery happening and our boss had to park and just wait for them to finish what we were doing in front before we could, we could continue. You know, and so that's what I was used to. Then you now get home, it's, it's late, it's dark, everybody's tired. But you enter an airport, enter a plane in like 45 minutes when you've landed and it's comfortable. I said, John, you are never traveling by road again, ever. Mm. That was it, <laughs> you know. And I how old were you then? This was in 20, this was in November 2014. So minus 86, I was 28, right? Four minus six, yeah, I was 28. I see, I see. Okay. Yeah. So you returned. Yeah. So, so. Um, you so, shared the ideas. Yeah, so I returned to Lagos. Yeah, and I began to implement some of those things. And um, I think it was, not too long after that, I was able to get a client that paid me my first ever, you know, um, million naira sum. That was about three million naira, and that just set the tone for my. That, that was my big break, actually. Mm-hmm. That just set the tone for the rest of my career, and I began to grow and grow and Did grow. Did you pitch for grow. it? You just met them. Was it a cold call, or you were reached out to? Um, I was reached out to. It was a campaign that somebody was already running, and they'd had me teach somewhere. And so they just decided to call me and hear what I had to say. They asked me to send a presentation. Um, and at the time I was terrible at making slides. I still am terrible at it, but at least I can afford to outsource that now. Mm, but okay. I, I was terrible at it then at, an, at a stage where I could not afford to be terrible at it. <laughs> so I said, okay, what do I do? So I made a screencast um, with um, Camtasia Studio. I did a social media audit of their social media handles and on the screencast, I explained what I would do better and I submitted the video and they were like, wow. And they brought me on board. Um, they paid me to handle the campaign and that was my big break. It was my really big break. Um, and I just began to grow from there. From that money, I was able to get my passport for the first time. Ah, and I, I traveled out of Nigeria for the first time in 2015. September 2015 for my birthday. I went to Brazil for um, 10 days. I came back and I went back to Brazil again for Christmas. I spent 40 days this time. Interesting. Yeah. I actually meant to spend a lot longer, but the trip was cut short, unfortunately, because I got news that my father had passed. And so I had to come back for the funeral and all of that, you know, so, oh, but, okay. yeah, so that was, so, 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 you know, I was having the time of my life, you know, that was when my life just took off. Yeah. Like Two-Face would say, today is the first day of the rest of my life. <laughs> In just a moment, John will talk about the death of his father, the birth of Smart Beacom Community, now Head Start Africa, as well as his lessons, mistakes, and life habits. Stay with us. I'm Oshaye, and you're listening to Origins Africa Podcast. Hi, dear listener. If you love our show, please leave us a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. You can also send us a tweet or comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. We love to read from you. 
Nope, not later. Yes, I read your mind. Do it now. Thanks a lot. Also, click the subscribe button and share with a friend. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Catch our one-to-one -one newsletter where we share with you one lesson, two quotes, and one question from each episode published. You'll find it at originsafrica.substack.com originsafrica.substack.com If you like it, please click the like button, leave a comment, share with a friend, and subscribe. Also, you can now watch video snippets of some of our guest interviews. Simply go to Origins Africa Podcast on YouTube, Origins Africa Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like our videos, and share. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Hi guys, welcome back to Origins Africa Podcast. Today, John is the founder of Head Start Africa, formerly Smart B Camp, a community dedicated to closing the knowledge gap among working professionals in Nigeria. How did Smart B Camp start? Smart B Camp, which is now Head Start Africa, um, at the yeah. time, I was um, I was making money. I was traveling the world. I mean, I was like this. I was like, I mean, it was crazy traveling out of Nigeria for the first time. Does something to your mind? Um, mm -hmm. I was like, wow, just seeing the excellence at the airports, you know. And it wasn't even an English-speaking country. They spoke, they spoke Portuguese. Just being exposed to a different culture and living amongst them, it was such a culture shock, you know. Not just a culture shock, but it expanded my mind and um, it was it was just beautiful. But anyway, at that time, I wanted to share my gifts with the world. And so I used to teach live webinars um, for free every Thursday and just teach people social media marketing. I had no business plan. I had no products to sell them. I was just teaching them for free. So I did that every single week live without fail. And one day I was like, you know, why don't I just create a a forum, you know, for this thing. So I wanted to create a forum kind of like, like Nara land. So I, I, I got some money, created one. I didn't quite like it because I felt like if people could not receive mobile notifications, then it defeats the purpose of engagement. So I left it alone. And then I discovered that, um, there was a man, um, there, there's a man named, uh, Victor Bassi who was, who was teaching people how to use Facebook groups to build community. And I was like, Facebook groups build community? At that time, I saw Facebook groups, and which was true, Facebook groups were just used for jokes or dirty, especially dirty jokes and very unserious people, you know. But here was this guy who was saying, hey, you can use Facebook groups to build community around your expertise. And I was like, what? Show me how. So I paid for a coaching session with Victor Bassi, and he walked me through it. Now, when he was teaching me on Skype, I was like, ah. And Victor had a Facebook group at the time. He had about 2,000 members. I said, Victor, you have a Facebook group of 2,000 members. You have 2,000 members on your group. Wow. I don't, I don't think I have the strength for this kind of thing. I really, 2,000 members, that's a lot. That's a lot too. 
you know, and it's funny that today I, my, on my Facebook group, we have over 170,000 members now. So I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, but as I then, 2000 was such a big number. Um, but anyway, so I took the notes from Victor Bassi's um, coaching call. I kept it in my Evernote and I never visited it, visited it again. Up until um, I was in Brazil, living La Vida Loca, living La Vida Loca, and my father passed away. And um, I came to Nigeria for the funeral, not just Nigeria, Lagos. I went to a village, the village, village, you know, where there's no light. Oh, Jesus. It was Anyway, so I got there. And while things were going on and I was grieving also, I was looking for, I mean, the, the passing of my father was a major blow to me because, I mean, this was, um, he was a huge part of my life and a huge part of the man that I grew up to be. So it really hit me hard. Um, so I needed a way to distract myself from what was going on. So literally while they were digging graves at one corner, I just remembered that thing I did with Victor Bassi and I pulled out my phone. I'm like... This Facebook group thing. I can't do this thing, Joe. And right there on my phone, I just created a Facebook group called it Smart B Camp. I sent out the invitation link to my BBM. Then BlackBerry Messenger was still popping. My BlackBerry Messenger contact list. I said, hey guys, I'm now going to be sending my messages to this Facebook group. If you want to get more, please join. And I hit it, hit it there. And um, that's how I got my first couple of hundred members on the group. I remember after I got back from my village, Ibuzo, my town, Ibuzo to Lagos, um, at social media week, I was speaking at Poise graduates, uh, finishing school at their social media week event. I was speaking there. And while they were introducing me up to the stage, they said, Oh, his name is John Obidi, the founder of smart B camp, a Facebook group with over 700 members and they were all clapping Woo, 700 whoa and i was like dude it's 723 <laughs> you know i was flexing with those numbers then and you know it, it was cool and uh and, and that was it but most people saw me being so consistent with the group sharing value and and vigorously growing the group they saw me as consistent and as so hard working which I probably am, but that was not the case. I was, I was using it as an, as an outlet or as a distraction so that I wouldn't have to deal with my thoughts so much. Um, and so that's why it became really excellent. Not because it was, I was just looking for something to grieve for, for a distraction from the grieving process. And that was it for me. And it grew as a result. And the transition happened to Head Start Africa. Yes, we ch changed the name to Head Start Africa. I knew I wanted to end the name Smart B Camp, and um, I didn't know what the name was going to be. It was be. no longer working for you, or? Yeah, but it, the name was confusing. It would be like, what is Smart B Camp? You know, is it, people were asking, is this Smart Business Camp? Is this Smart Boot Camp? You know, so I said, okay, this name has got to go. We're going to change it, but I don't know what it is yet. So one day I was in church. And they handed us um, these memory verses that were supposed to give us a head start for the week okay. on small cards. And I looked and I said, and I saw the name on the card, Head Start, and then the memory verse. I said, that's the name, Head Start Africa. Mm. 
<laughs> and that's what I that's what I renamed the movement to Head Start Africa. So that's what that's what brought us where we are now. Okay. Between twenty thirteen when you got the future awards nomination and twenty eighteen, I think, when you finally won yes. five years. Mm-hmm. Um twenty fourteen you were in a, were you still nominated all through the years until twenty eighteen? No, I wasn't. How did you feel about that with all the work you were doing through the year? To be honest, I felt weird when the next year I wasn't, you know, nominated. But I was like, okay, I don't know. I guess they have their criteria, so it is what it is. These things didn't. Okay, to be honest, these things didn't didn't matter to me as such because I was I was making money. I was fine. I was just grateful. I was just grateful to be. This is someone who was, you know, born into poverty and all that, you know, and finally. I'm able to have predictable income. I'm able to, you know, be an architect of my of my of my circumstances. I can exercise my power of choice. Power of choice is something that many people that have it take for granted. Now you can wake up today and decide what you want to have for breakfast. That was never my experience growing up. We only had to take what was available, you know. And being able to do that every day is just a blessing. And so it didn't really mean much. I was just happy that. Um, life was better and even and getting even better, you know. And by 2018, when I was renominated, I was like, okay, cool. It would be nice to win it this time. And funnily enough, when the nomination came, I was in Brazil again in 2018. Okay. Yeah, they invited me for a speaking engagement um, at a Festival of Transformation. So I went there to speak, and there was there that I was nominated, and I promised them that I would be there for the events. So I actually left Brazil to come back to Lagos for the events. And as fate would have it, I won, picked up the trophy, and I headed right back to Brazil. What did winning do for you? Oh, well, um, I was happy about it. It was it was uh, some validation. And a lot of people took me very seriously when I won that. I was it got me more media appearances, and it got me leverage too for in the international community because when they would invite me to speak in countries around the world, they would say, "Oh, this guy is." I remember when I was when I went to speak in Brazil again in 2019. If you, it's, it's I, have, I have only like two videos on my IGTV. One of, this is one of the videos on my IGTV when I was speaking to a, to um, that crowd in Brazil. So hearing that I won the Future Awards Africa Press of New Media, how they translated it to Portuguese was that this guy is the best in new media in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, I didn't say all that. <laughs> I didn't say all that. I don't want to get into trouble. Anyway, there was no cancel culture then yet, but still, I don't want to get in no trouble. Dude, I didn't say all that. I just said I won the future. I was like, well, whatever, man. So they announced it, and so they were so, so, so happy to see me and stuff. So it did help yeah, my branding, my perception internationally, and, you know, the um, clients and my audience in other countries um, that I've been to, to speak and to teach and to train, you know, they saw me as a, a 
powerhouse in Africa and it helped the bottom line too. How did evolution happen from social media now into being the personal development expert? Um, yeah, how did that, how, how did the transition happen? Again, you only live once, right? <laughs> so I've lived multiple lives in one life. <laughs> I mean, throughout this conversation, I've been this and this and yep. that, and I'm having, I'm having fun at every step of the way. Um, because again, we only live once, you know, um, nobody knows categorically what lies at the end. Um, some people believe that there's a heaven and some are determined to believe there's a heaven. Perhaps we'll get to the end and see that they say that there's actually a heaven. If it happens, fantastic. Still, there's no empirical evidence of a hereafter. What we know, um, practically is what is here right now. Some people believe in reincarnation. They believe that, you know, if you live a life well, you might come back, you know, but there's still no evidence of any of that. So what we all know and can hold on to is what we have right now. And so um, at every point in my life, I've never been afraid to reinvent myself based on what anybody would say. Because, you know, I said this at the beginning that in a hundred years, none of this would matter. There will be bigger issues in the world then. We think that the world is in any kind of shape right now. You wait till a hundred years, people of that time would deal with the issues of that time in their own way and on their own terms. Um, and so I want to live my life in a way that I really enjoy it and I can be proud of myself. By the time I'm like 80, 90, if God allows me to live that long. Um, and so at every point in time, if I say tomorrow I want to be an astronaut, I'm going to do it. It's, it's what I want to do. You know, people are going to look and try to fix their interpretations of destiny upon you or their opinions. And you just tell them that it's uncalled for. You draw that line. He who must lead the orchestra must turn his back to the crowd. And so I've never been afraid to reinvent myself. Um, as long as I enjoy what I'm doing and I'm proud of myself and it allows me room to grow. I will keep on doing it, you know? So at the time when I began to um, have some original ideas in personal development, I just started writing it out there. I'm not the only one who has these great ideas. Many people have too, but they are afraid that people are going to say, ah, you, you are doing this one yesterday. Now you are doing this one. Now you are doing this one, you know? And I have no such fears. They're just human beings. Um, everyone, we all have our own issues. Um, we, all, we all have our, our our, our pleasures, our pain, our trials, our tribulations, our successes, our victories and our failures. And um, I think people have their hands full handling that. It's a full-time job. And so other people handle theirs and I handle mine. So I just keep on reinventing myself as I see fit, as long as it, gives me, it brings value to me, happiness to me, value and happiness to, to other people. I can get what I want in an ecological fashion, meaning that it causes no harm to anybody, but enriches people around me. Oh, by all means, I will give it a shot. And so um, that's it. I don't have any strategy for handling the evolution. It's just who I am and who I will continue to be. Okay. And I guess this was soon from when you're reading the personal development books earlier in the years and also from you learning proverbs and system with your dad in the early years as well. Yes. Personal development came largely from my, um, from my background with the Bible because as I grew up into adulthood, even though I learned the Bible just for, um, just for us, like, uh, just 
for the words. I didn't know what most of it meant. But as I began to mature into an adult, all those words began to have meanings. I began to see something play out and I'd be like, oh my goodness, is that not the exact same circumstance that David was in when this and that, 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 that. And so it began to have mm. so much meaning and these things had brighter um, applications to real life. And that's when my personal development um, foundations began. Yeah. More from the okay. Bible than from books, really. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. What mistakes would you say you made along the way to get into where you are now? Well, mistakes. Well, again, I don't know. If of course, now they're learning points, but that. yeah, yeah, uh, because it all it all got me here. But but I would say one of the things I think I I should have done or I would have done would have been to discipline and humble myself enough to get and keep a job. Um, because my 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 brain always seeks excitement, and it's just my personality type. Um, my brain always seeks the excitement of something new and something novel and something stimulating. But sometimes empires are built by just consistently doing the boring stuff, you know, and some of that, if that's not who you are naturally, it's going to take you um, disciplining yourself to make sure that you follow through on doing these things. You take orders, carry orders out and all of that. And it, it, there's a softer landing it gives you when you want to venture out into the world. I never had that soft landing. So things were hard for me, unnecessarily hard for me. But anyway, I'm here now, but I think that it could have been easier. Okay. When did you feel most alone? When did I feel most alone? Um, I'm naturally an introvert, so I don't really feel alone. <laughs> I'm very comfortable in my own company. So alone is not a word that I've actually used in reference to myself at any time, no. Okay, uh, so I think the question, if I were to rephrase it, would be perhaps the lowest point, uh, maybe the point you felt everything was against you and nothing was working and that sort of thing. Um, hmm. I, I don't think anything comes close to when my father passed away. Okay. Yeah. So, cause I leaned on him a lot for advice and for direction and for counsel and, and yeah, the, 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 the finality of death is just tough for a person who has, who deals with it the first time before then, nobody close to me had ever passed away. Nobody, I mean, like my grandmother, but you know, nobody, in my family ever passed. I never had to deal with grief. So I didn't even know how to console someone who was dealing with it, but I think that was the biggest one for me. Um, it was, I, I don't know how I got over that, but it was it was tough. First, that would that, yeah. that would I say would have been the toughest thing. And starting Smart B Campus, the outlets that helped in yes, yes, it did help. Okay. Um, what would you say you learned the hard way? What did I learn the hard way? Let me see. I, I nothing really comes to me in that direction right now. Learning the hard way. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. That's fine. Um, and generally now we're looking through the years, what would you say are the key lessons life has taught you? Maybe top three? Top three. Well, first one is you only live once. Um, <laughs> um, well, life has taught me so many lessons. Life has taught me that fortune favors the brave. Okay. Um, fortune favors the brave. My, my my story is such a an in, a, a weird 
tale of twists and turns and serendipity and but one thing that I had going for me was bravery to try things out and just step out into the unknown. It excites me to do that rather than frightens me and fortune favored me. Not always, but in the times when my bravery was not always met with fortune, I always had some way to rationalize it and extract a resourceful meaning from the experience. Um, so, but for the times that my bravery has been met with fortune, it's been lovely. It's been great. You know, the world has rewarded me, opened up to me, and that's one key lesson. Fortune does favor the brave. Not always, but enough times to make you successful. Any other thing? Oh, well, if I was, well, what's the thinking on that? If I do on this, you said it's not fevered every time. So could you maybe one share one instance where fortune, maybe you got burned? Okay, um, let me see. Where did I? So, well, I mean, there have been things I tried out that did not quite work. Um, I think that even gives me a lesson, a good, a great lesson, which is self-knowledge is key. Self-knowledge is something I only ventured into very late. Somebody older than me will say, how can I say it's late? You say early, Joe, you're still young. But, but I think I got it pretty late because there are some businesses I would never have really tried out. If I had known it was incompatible with my personality type, you know, and there are many personality types. I think that every young person or every person at all needs to do a personality test so you can know what your configuration is and what paths in life favor you the most. Okay. The one I like recommending is one called 16personalities.com. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. So what, what are your letters? Just out of curiosity. I've totally forgotten, but it's somewhere in the PDF <laughs> document. But it was okay. there that I learned that I was going to be—I I was going to be a teacher. That I was great as a teacher. I mean, I was teaching already, but if I had known earlier on, I'd have just gone all in on teaching and just said no to other things that were not compatible, which I eventually failed at. Now I've realized also that it's not only about the things you say yes to that make you successful but about the things you say no to, you know, where you don't know who you are and what you're doing. And, you know, you'll say yes to a lot of things that look good in the moment, but ultimately just distract you and pull you in a different direction. Um, so, and waste your time. So self-knowledge is key. If I knew then what I know now, I think I would have learned myself earlier on so that I'll be at a, at a philosophical advantage. You wanted to share an instance? Yeah, so I, I, there was a time I tried out um, importing stuff from China um, to resell in Nigeria. You know, I, I just tried it out because it was a nice thing to try, but I had no passion there. I had no, it wasn't my thing. I mean, look, if I was starving, I probably would have made it work. But I wasn't starving, I didn't need it, so I just let it go, you know? But it, it took some of my time, it took some of my money, and, you know, I could have spent that time and money focusing on on my main thing, 
you know but with self-knowledge you know what it's what what you need to go all in on and what you need to just leave alone for someone else okay you may have answered it or what are the habits or principles that you live by that were instrumental to your success Hmm, habits and principles there a lot um i try to live by the wisdom books of the bible i love the wisdom books uh, proverbs and ecclesiastes and i live my life by the a lot of the principles um in there um i think that you're the average of the five people you spend your time with so um i like to spend my time with people who inspire me whose virtues i would like to have and I'd like to be of value to these people too. Um, uh, I learned these and more, so much more from um, most of the writings of King Solomon in the Bible. And um, I try to live as best as I can by these principles. Okay. I heard you say that the most successful people in Lagos are oftentimes, if not always, the most connected. Yes. So, it then becomes important for even the ones who are intelligent to really build connection and network with people, right? Yes, it's very important. Could you touch more on that a bit? Yeah, well, the thing is, um, you know, they say that people who are always top of their class in school, sometimes they struggle in real life uh, because they're not used to collaborating in school but in real life you have to collaborate the kids in school who don't do quite well they tend to be more collaborative because they know straight up that yo i don't have the answers <laughs> they know so they are already pushed towards the area of collaborating with other people and so they read mm-hmm. those rewards and so and someone who also has built an identity a personal identity of being super smart also struggles because you feel like I should be able to figure this thing out. Why do I need help? Why do I need to collaborate? Right. But someone who has never been anything right from primary school, he hasn't collaborated, even though they call it copying. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they've been collaborating. So such people, they make friends easily. They meet people, you know, and, you know, it helps to grow their, their careers a lot faster than the person who tries to go it alone. You know, so yes, that's that's very applicable. Okay. What would you ascribe your success to looking through the years? Your hard work, skills and talents or luck? Luck. Um, luck has played a role. Hard work has played its role. Talent has played its role. Um, I think they all have equal roles. I'm not going to say I've not been lucky. I have been crazily lucky, but thankfully, those times when I was lucky, um, my hard work and talent enabled me to extract as much benefit from those experiences as possible. How do you unwind today? Video games, PlayStation 4. Ah, I see. (laughs) If you were in my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I've not asked you yet? Question... What question do I ask myself? Yes, that I've not asked you yet. Ah, no more. <laughs> what would I have asked? Mm, 
I don't know. Maybe what's next for John Abidi? Okay. I was yeah. going after this, but yes, you can ask. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So what's next is um, I'm committed to building Abit Network, um, growing us. I mean, we have a presence in Nigeria, Rwanda, the United States, and now in Dubai. Looking to grow our operations deeply into Europe. Um, we have a token called Tatcoin, and uh, we already have you about 1.5 million users on the Abit Trader app, and that is still growing. I want to, but it's mostly our for is mostly it's predominantly our African user base using it, but we want to now push it. Um, and make it a, a a a mainstream app in Europe and in North America. So that's what I'm committed to doing for the near future. And uh, I guess that's what's next for John Obidi. Mm, okay. Who would you like me to interview next? Who would I like you to interview next? Um, so there's Blessing Abeng. I think she has very interesting stories. Okay. Yeah, I think she has really interesting stories that people could benefit from. That's John Obidi. He's the Director of Growth and Partnerships at Abit Networks and the founder of Head Start Africa Community. Thank you for listening to our show this week. If you liked it, do leave us a review, a comment, and share with your friends. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend and to tell another friend. We would also love to read from you. So please, do send us a tweet or leave a comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. You can also write to us at OriginsAfricaPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, do subscribe at wherever you get your podcast. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, amongst others. Catch our one-to-one newsletter where we share with you one lesson, two quotes, and one question from each episode published. You'll find it at originsafrica.substack.com originsafrica.substack.com And of course, if you like it, please click the like button, leave a comment, share with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe. Join us next time as we have a chat with Fadil Guru, the founder of Bookings Africa. I'm Oshaya, and you've been listening to Origins Africa podcast. Bye for now. My father told me life is not a bitter.